Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Foundations in Torah and Bible Interact TV. I'd like to welcome you to the first session of a series called The Dew of Heaven. Now this is probably going to be about an eight-part series, so you'll have to uh, take some time and listen to it over the next few weeks and months. But the dew, typically in Scripture, and according to the rabbis, is associated with the resurrection of the dead. So it was that in the rabbinic literature, for instance, the belief in the resurrection in the messianic days became kind of a basic tenet. And the resurrection was always to occur at the time of the inauguration of the messianic age. So that was very much in the minds of the rabbis and in Hebrew thinking. However, they did not call it resurrection. What they called it was revivication or resuscitation of the dead. But it turns out it really is a a very cardinal doctrine in ancient Judaism. Obviously today, not so much. But back then, they really, this was a very foundational and an important aspect of Hebrew life, of Jewish life, is this time of the resurrection and its preparation. Certainly by the time of Yeshua, we know that the Sadducees themselves had rejected the idea of the resurrection of the dead. And certainly today in modern Judaism, many are in the same camp. Now the first session, I'd like to take some time and look at a few examples from the rabbinic literature, specifically in the liturgy and also in the scriptures. And we're going to focus this first session probably into the second session, looking at the story of Elijah and the widow from Zarephath. So what I did was I pulled out scriptures that talked about dew and specifically in various narratives in the, in the scriptures and tried to show you how the dew and the resurrection were identified as being the same thing. Now, according to the literature, uh, the rabbis believe that the purpose of the resurrection was, quote, for the righteous dead of Israel who were brought back to life to enjoy the blessings of that time in their land. So we see that there is a connection then between the righteous dead and a return to the land. And that plays out when we look at Ezekiel 37. They believe that in the days of the Messiah that the dead would rise first in the land. And it was only there that the dead would be brought back to life. So there's a key ingredient here, a key connection to the land of Israel. And here's another quote. They say, So those buried outside the land would roll over and over through underground tunnels made for them by God until they reached the borders of the land. It's kind of an interesting quote. It's hard to envision people rolling over and over through underground tunnels and then arriving in the land. But I just want to make the point that the land itself, the land of Israel and the resurrection, go together. There's a connection between the two. There isn't one without the other. So we'll just kind of keep that in the back of our minds. You can see now why it was so important for the patriarchs to be buried there. Because in order for them to be resurrected from the dead, they were going to have to be in the land. That's why they needed to take Joseph's bones back to the land from Egypt and also take Jacob's bones back to the land. That's just very significant. Now, one of the key points I want to make in all of this, and especially you'll see it as we go through the various narratives, is that really there is no resurrection without an atonement first. 
And each one of the narratives that I have chosen to study in a little more detail all reveal that. So we understand that the atonement was brought by Yeshua, the Messiah himself. His shed blood applied to the altar, that it would be the heavenly altar, the, the temple in heaven. And his shed blood would ultimately bring eternal life to mankind. So with, without his atonement, there's no resurrection. And without an atonement, there is no dew of heaven. And all the scripture passages I have chosen really do contain the idea of the dew. So let me just read another quote here. from This is from Genesis Rabbah. It says, Only on account of Israel does dew come as a blessing upon the world, on account of Jacob, who studied the Torah, or for the sake of Job, whose doors were kept wide open for the needy. Again, this is from Targum, Song of Songs 8.5. It says, All the dead of Israel will rise from beneath the Mount of Olives. So again, we have a connection to the land of Israel and to the resurrection of the dead. Here's a quote from Shmuel Samuel Bar Nachmani. He says, The dew comes as a heavenly gift and by the merit of no man. And uh, a quote here from the Babylonian Talmud, the, the dew of heaven, or the dew of the resurrection, is also stored up in the Aravo, you might recognize as our boat, the highest heaven. This is from Haggigah 12b. And by this dew are the dead revived. So again, over and over, we see this idea of the dew of the rex- resurrection being connected to, uh, certainly in the scriptures, resurrection, the dew of heaven. Also, we can associate it with sort of the Holy Spirit, that raising up from the dead. Uh, according to the literature, there are seven heavens, and that the highest heaven is the Arvo, and you can find that in Psalm 68, 5. It says, sing, this is a, this verse five, 68 verse 5 here, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol the one who rides upon the highest heavens. There, that highest heavens is our vote, and by his name, Yah, and it goes on. So according to the literature, the highest heavens contains a number of things. It contains the righteousness and judgment. It contains the treasuries of life and peace and blessing. And it contains the souls of the righteous dead. This is the dew with which God will revive the dead. And all of this has connected to the sort of the throne in heaven, the the throne of of our king. Now I'm going to look at a few examples here in the liturgy because there are a number of places in which we have this idea of the resurrection and the dew. So I'd like to go through some of those first. Uh, for instance, uh, the very first example would be the morning blessings. Some of you are familiar with that. Uh, being a female, I say, Moda This is the prayer that is said upon arising each morning, the idea being of one's soul returning back within them. But really, this blessing speaks to us of a, of a rehearsal each day for the resurrection as God's mercies are renewed every morning. And so every morning we have a rehearsal then for the resurrection of the dead. When one is asleep, one is dead, and to awaken is to awaken to new life and resurrection. And I think that's uh, kind of telling for us. Lots of times one goes to bed in the evening with the weight of the world upon them, but it's a new day in the morning. And, And this idea that Things are restored, things are renewed. You can start fresh in the morning, just in the same way that that God renews his blessings each day. Uh, Another example in the liturgy would be from the second blessing of the Shemone Esrei, or the Amidah, or the standing prayers. That blessing is called Giverot, or God's Might. 
and it is recited at every service. There's a section in that particular prayer that talks about bringing down the dew, which is said between Pesach, Passover, and Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So this is the time to pray for dew because the rains have stopped and the hot, dry summer months are ahead. And so that fresh uh, watering of the plants can only take place through the coming of dew each morning. I used to live in a place that was uh, was pretty dry. We only get 7 to 10 inches of rain a year. But every morning I'd go out for a run about 6 in the morning, and I was amazed at how wet the grass was. So that, that dew that waters in the early hours of the morning, you can see the connection there with it being raised up early in the morning. The prayer goes something like this. You are mighty eternally, O Lord, the reviver of the dead are you. You are abundantly able to save you who brings down the dew, who sustains the living with kindness, and who revives the dead with mercy abundant, who supports the fallen, who heals the sick, who releases the confined, and who maintains his faith to those asleep in the dust. Who is like you, O master of mighty deeds, and who is comparable to you, O king, who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout, Mazmir Yeshua. So you can see contained in this prayer all the elements of resurrection, being raised up and healing the sick and maintaining faith to those asleep in the dust, the king who causes death but restores life, all these elements in that particular prayer. Now there's another prayer that is said. Now this prayer is said during the month of Nisan, the first month of the year in the spring. It's a specific prayer for dew, and always said during the Passover season. It's called Tefillat Tal, and the prayer itself speaks of bringing a Redeemer. And it uh, goes like this, You are eternally mighty, my Lord, the resuscitator of the dead are you, abundantly able to save. And some excerpts from that prayer read something like this, The depths of the footstool uh, yearn for his droplet, and every lush meadow yearns for it. Dew, it's mentioned, enhances his power. Dew, to resuscitate with it those buried in the cleft of the rocks. So here's another prayer that's associated with the dew said at the Passover season because now it's time to pray for that watering of the of the plants through the summer months. So there's a connection again between the dew and Passover. It was said that uh, when Isaac bestowed the patriarchal blessing uh, upon Jacob his son, it said that he declared Pesach, Passover was the time of redemption and praise for God. And that it was the time when the heavenly chambers of dew and blessing are open. And of course it was said in the spring, which is the time of rejuvenation of the plants and of nature. And it was to be a time when the Jewish nation was redeemed and began to blossom. Which of course connects us to Egypt, the Passover out of Egypt. But also significant is this is the time that Yeshua the Messiah was raised from the dead. This fulfills the time perfectly of his death and his burial and his resurrection at the time of Passover. So he is really the first fruits of the dew of heaven, the first fruits of the resurrection, again followed by his blood atonement. There cannot be a resurrection without some kind of atonement that takes place first. So we have a a picture of the heavenly dew at the time of Passover. Now, not to be outdone, we go from Passover to Sukkot, and we have the same picture. Now, to my mind, 
Passover certainly re- represents Yeshua in his coming, his resurrection, the first fruits of the resurrection. But Sukkot represents the time of the resurrection of the rest of us, the resurrection of the righteous dead. Now there's a special prayer that's said at Sukkot called the voice of the herald, Kol Mebasar, the voice of the herald, herald and proclaims. And that voice is usually associated with Elijah, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, because he would be the one that would come and prepare the way of the Messiah. And of course, when we get to Sukkot, this is the time that we're going to be praying for rain. And so we've had the dew all summer, and we get to Sukkot, and now we're praying for rain, the, the gentle rains that come through the winter season. But with the conclusion of the prayers for rain, we now proclaim the resuscitation of the dead, which will follow the coming of the Messiah. So really for us, we have two comings of the Messiah, and both are connected with resurrection. And of course, we understand there's a break between the two. And certainly the Jewish people are anxiously waiting for the Messiah and the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Let me just read a few lines out of this particular prayer. The voice of the herald, herald heralds and proclaims says, be joyous. O Rose of Sharon for those sleeping in Hebron have arisen. The voice heralds, heralds and proclaims a voice. A man has sprouted. Zamak is his name. He is David himself. A voice heralds, heralds, and proclaims. Arise, you who are covered with dust. Awake and sing, you who lie in the dust. A voice heralds, heralds, and proclaims. So you see all this imagery connected to the resurrection. And in particular, the man who has sprouted, Zamach is his name, the righteous sprout. Although we tend to say Zamach meaning branch, but really it means a sprout. And so this is, of course... Ultimately, referring to Yeshua mentioned here is referring to King David. And so all these wonderful elements in this prayer as well, connecting us to the resurrection of the dead. Now, we're, we're going to look at a couple of more quotes here. Now, these are from later, uh, later commentaries in the rabbinic literature. And when I read them, they'll probably sound a bit crazy to you. But hopefully, as I go through some of our scripture passages, you'll see the connection now, this one is from the Alkut Shemoni. It says, In the hour when the Holy One resurrects the dead, he shakes his locks, and the dew descends from his head, and the dust becomes kneaded together. Now, I realize that sounds a bit on the esoteric side, but I want to draw your attention to the idea of him shaking his locks, or the, the hair on his head. And from his head, the dew descends, or the resurrection comes. This quote is from the Zohar. And it says from Gulgulta, dew drips upon him who is outside and fills his head every day. And from that dew he shakes from his head, the dead will awaken in the world to come. So again, these are very similar. Talking, This one's in particular talking about this place called Gulgulta. And the dew drips from him, the dew drips out from his head, and he shakes the dew from his head and the dead will awaken. In the world to come. And so where we see this in scripture is in Psalm 133. 
So 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren or for brothers want to dwell together in unity. It is like the fragrant oil on the head. So we know the the oil related to the Holy Spirit on the head that runs down over the beard of Aaron, our own, who is the high priest, and flows down over his garments. So there is a connection then between what's being said here in the rabbinic literature in Yolkuch Moni in the Zohar about this fragrant oil on his head running down, flowing over his garments. And then it goes on to say, it is like the dew of Hermon, the Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, that settles on the mountains of Zion, for it was there that God ordained the blessing of everlasting life. So all of this, the dew of Hermon, is connecting us to this idea of everlasting life or the resurrection of the dead. Now, there are many who think that Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, is actually the site of the Transfiguration. We can't prove that for sure, but there are those and some scholars that believe that. And when you think about it, we go to Matthew 17, these events in Matthew 17 foreshadow the idea of the resurrection of the dead, all of the dead, the righteous dead, at the time of Sukkot. So it starts out Matthew 17, 1. And it says, six days later, Yeshua took Kepha, Yaakov, and Yochanan and led them up on a high mountain. It doesn't tell us which mountain. So that's why we think it possibly could have been Mount Hermon. As they watched, he began to change form. His face shone like the sun and his clothing became white as light. So you see, this is really a picture of the resurrection, that he began to change form and that his clothing became white just like light so that's the imagery that we have here certainly from first corinthians 15 it tells us that we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet certainly first corinthians 15 is what we call the resurrection chapter it'd be good to go back and read that but we shall all be changed and then from job 14 14 it says i will wait all the days of my life for my change to come So just as Yeshua changed form and that he was clothed white as light. So this is what's being communicated in the book of Job here. We have the image of his clothes or his garments signifying the flesh and their changings because that perishable is putting on imperishable and the mortal is putting on immortal. Another example that we have from scripture is in the book of Ephesians. Now, many think that the book of Ephesians was actually written uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, possibly sometime around Sukkot. We don't know for sure. But certainly Rosh Hashanah has always been associated with the resurrection of the dead. It is one of the themes uh, out of many for Rosh Hashanah. So it takes us to this particular season. And Rosh Hashanah is connected to the inauguration of the Messianic Age, or the Messianic Kingdom, and certainly Yom Kippur, this connects us to the day of the final redemption. It even says in Ephesians, we are sealed by him, uh, talking about the day of redemption or what we would call Yom HaPedut. The quote in Ephesians that I want to look at says, Get up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. So now we see this concept of the resurrection going forth to all of us. And it was said that this particular phrase, get up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you, was an ancient temple prayer at the time of Rosh Hashanah. And obviously there's no 
there's no, uh, it's very much connected to the resurrection of the dead. There's no question about that. So this is just kind of an introduction here of uh, all the different elements that we've seen in the liturgy, we've seen in some of the rabbinic literature, and certainly we've seen in the scriptures that point to this concept of the resurrection of the dead, and that it is very much a foundational element, a cardinal doctrine in ancient Judaism. But of course, today it is not anymore, although I think you would find that to be the case in some sort of ultra and uh, orthodox circles. Now, I'm just going to get started in this session here, and uh, in a couple of weeks you'll be able to hear the the second part of this particular series. But I'm going to look at 1 Kings 17.1, and you can actually go ahead and read that whole chapter. But we start out with Eliyahu, Elijah the Tishbite, who was uh, an inhabitant of Gilad, Gilead. And it says, As Adonai the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will be neither rain nor dew in the years ahead unless I say so. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Leave here, turn to the east, and hide in the Vadi Crete near Jordan, the Jordan River, the Yarden. So it's quite clear we have uh, no rain, no, resur- no dew, no resurrection at Sukkot, no resurrection at Passover. And as we go through the story, you'll see the reason why. Because in order for there to be a resurrection, again, there has to be an atonement. And so we're going to see a measure of atonement take place in this particular story. And then we'll find that the, the drought, if you will, will end when the, when the rain and the dews will return. And here's a little commentary. It says, God promised Abraham under an oath never to let the dew cease to bless his his descendants, and therefore Elijah could not stop its fall by his words. So when the time comes for the resurrection, there certainly wasn't anything Elijah could do by his words. But that will come certainly when we have an atonement. So if we go back into the backdrop of this story, we find that there's not been rain or dew in the years uh, to come. That will be approximately three and a half years Except by my word, he's saying, there's obviously related to the resurrection been no atonement. And if we think of the Holy Spirit, uh, excuse me, as Elijah as a picture of the Holy Spirit, as we go through the story, I think it'll, it'll help the story make a little more sense. So Elijah, picture of the Spirit, is sent to go to a widow in Sidon, uh, the widow in the town called Sarfat, which is kind of an interesting name, uh, made up of two parts. Uh, Tsar is a word that means distress or tribulation or trouble, which is certainly the period of time it's being talked about. And Fatah, the root of the final part of that word, means to perforate or to be full of holes. So to me, I, I saw a wonderful image of the Messiah being pierced for our transgressions, if you will, and uh, his atonement coming for our distress and our tribulation. So this could well, even in the name of Tsarfat, be a picture of the future time of Jacob's trouble. And we'll find as we go through this that the widow is actually really a picture of Israel. So Elijah sees a widow there, and uh, what is she doing? It says that she's gathering... Now, it depends on your translation, but more accurately says she's gathering two pieces of wood or two sticks of wood. Uh, the wood also, the word is at seam, which is trees, 
and it's also the same word for bones. I just kind of want to plant that in your mind. And he asks for water to drink and then a piece of bread from her hand. And she says, as God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal or flour in a pot and a little jug, uh, excuse me, a little oil in a jug. Here I am gathering two sticks of wood so that I can go and cook it for myself and my son. And after we have eaten that, we will die. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, these two, these elements that we have here in the story already. So if Elijah is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the widow is a picture of Israel. She's gathering two pieces or two sticks of wood. She doesn't really have very much, just a handful. And I want to focus your attention on that as well. And she only has a little oil in the jug. And so uh, that's going to really conclude our very first session. So I'm, I hope that you're excited about this, uh, this teaching of the dew of the resurrection. And we will next time we'll be talking in more detail in, in, in this particular story. This is a fascinating story. I would encourage you to go back and to read it and to pick out those things that will, will help you. So I'd like to say shalom. You can check out my website, Foundations in Torah. And uh, you'll hear from me in a couple of weeks, and we'll be we'll be picking this uh, story back up and talking about the dew of heaven. So, see you next time. Shalom.